0: Where you stand determines what you see. Right? I'm literally alone in this room right now. Right? I'm the only one here. As far as I can tell, as far as I can see, it's just me in this auditorium, nobody else. Right? If I, I don't know. Let's see. If I stand here and someone lights a fire... I know the way out, but if you're sitting there, all you see is just a little shine of a piece of paper, right? Where we stand determines what we see, and here's, the, here's the, the beauty of that. The beauty is that we have the ability to stand in different places. The challenge, however, is that most of us go through most of our lives standing in the same ones. We go through the same motions each day. We get much of the same inputs, and so the the great sorrow is that there are things that we never learn to see around us. We are going to take a few weeks to talk about learning to see better, calling it the art of noticing, and we're going to take a look at how Jesus leads us to a life that is more perceptive, both of what's happening out there, noticing what's happening around us, Noticing what's happening within us and noticing God among us, all right? So we're going we're to take a few weeks to look at various stories that help us grow in the art of noticing. Um, and so, so it's really, really important uh, that, we, that we understand that the more we learn to look around, the more we will get to see and the more beautiful our world can become, so there's learning that, involve, that it involves in terms of learning about things we've never seen before, but there's also beauty in discovering and experiencing what's around us in new ways. Uh, do you ever, you remember the Where's Waldo books? They still, they don't do those anymore, do they? Do they? Or at least maybe it's the same ones that are still circulating, but... <clears throat> okay, so I got a couple nods, enough to, to mention it. So in Where's Waldo, it's just this is just kind of a, a random tangential thought. But in, in Where's Waldo, you get these books that I grew up with as a kid, and there's I don't know how many tiny little people that are about a centimeter big, just in this massive crowd in all the in a coliseum, in a shopping mall, at a park. It, every every page is different, and Waldo, this dude with a little hat, and I think that I can't is he he's wearing a hat right? And a red and white striped shirt. What's the, what color's the hat? Oh, they're both red and white. That's the giveaway. So he has either um, a really, really uh, consistent wardrobe or bad hygiene. We don't know, but he never changes. And so, so your job is to look at this massive amount of people and see him. And it's great because you learn to notice. Where is Waldo in this, in this, uh, in this crowd? But here's the other thing. There's all these people there. That aren't Waldo, but Waldo's just another guy. It's not like he's doing anything special. He's usually literally just standing right there, like sometimes he's like I don't know, buying a hot dog or something. But but he's just doing the same thing. And every single one of those people is doing their own same thing. And so I started thinking, well, what about their stories? What are their names? Well, granted, I know that there's just an illustration, um, and some some publishers, you know, attempt to. Make some money and and teach kids about noticing, and there is, but what I am realizing is that there are so many stories that we don't know. And and so we've learned to look for some stories, but we've also learned to overlook some stories. Uh, Our lives change when we grow in the ability to notice, especially when it's with the eyes and the ears and the spirit of Christ. So we're going to start with a little story about who's around us. And it's found in Luke 19. And um, I'm just going to set up the story briefly. We're actually, so one of the fun things of this series or whatever, this conversation, set of conversations, is that because noticing often involves seeing something that is not the primary focus often, we're going to look at some of the things. So you might hear me talk about stories and you'd be like, well, there's a whole big point to that story that you left out. Yeah, totally. On purpose. Um, so, so there's. I've taught on most of these different passages um, at the big idea, but I want you to notice some of the underlying stuff that, that's coming up. So, so this is in Luke 19, and Jesus is. Um, he's on his way through Jericho. All right, a little town. Um, I don't know a day's journey, a little more than a day's journey from uh, from Jerusalem, and uh, and so here's here's what happens. So Jesus entered Jericho, and he's on his way through town. And we are introduced to this guy, and he is named Zacchaeus. I know you've probably heard his name before if you've been around the church. Um, and Zacchaeus uh, is a chief tax collector. They make a point of telling us that, uh, both, both things, that he's a tax collector, but also he's a leader. So he has power um, because of the nature of his role. He does not have popularity, however, uh, because a tax collector, as we've talked about so many times, was seen as kind of a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a, a traitor to the Jewish people. They worked with the Romans to tax their own poor people, often taking an extra cut for themselves. That was There was a, a lack of oversight that was intentional. right? Romans loved, we'd get a Jewish person to do this to his own people, and then we let him do whatever he wants, because then we don't have to deal with it. He's happy because he's get, he gets more rich. Um, and so it's, just, it's nice to be hands-off like that, and then he gives us the money that we ask for, and whatever he wants to skim off the top, he can keep. So not necessarily a popular guy, but what happens is he hears that Jesus has been healing and doing all these other things, um, and he's going to be passing through town. So what we're told um, is he wanted to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road because Jesus was going to pass that way. Okay, so this is, this is the story that, that we get. So he's looking around. It's interesting. In the scriptures, there's multiple times when people, they, um, they want to get near Jesus and they kind of push their way through the crowd, right? We've got the, the, the guys in the book of Mark that rip open the roof, right? And they lower their friend down. We've got the woman we're going to talk about a little bit later who goes and touches Jesus when, he's, when his back is turned. Um, and we get we get all these these things happening, but uh, but he doesn't want to do that. You notice know that he comes and he's instead of instead of uh, wanting to to go through the crowd. Maybe it's because he was short and he didn't think he'd even be able to see even if he got through. But maybe it was because he thought it was safer for him to remain on the outside. Not super popular with the world around him. So or or maybe he felt ashamed of who he was and what he had done. So he stays on the outside, but either way he chooses not to enter into the crowd, but to just kind of perch on the edge. All right? So so he's perching on the edge, just kind of in the periphery of this whole story, in the periphery. So this this group is coming by, they're very they're very interested. He's heard about Jesus and who Jesus is and that Jesus is a potentially a great healer. Who knows what Zacchaeus thought about him, but for whatever reason, he is interested enough to want to get Um, to get a look, okay? And so he climbs this tree, which helps him be able to see, and he is just perched up there in a whole sea of people as Jesus is passing through. No doubt Jesus is probably healing people, teaching along the way, which was one of his kind of special, you know, unique things about Jesus that he did. And so so in the middle of this, he looks, Jesus passes by. And we're in, uh, here, I'll throw a couple verses up for you. Um, We're in verse 5 here. Uh, So what we get is Zacchaeus is in the tree at this point. He climbed up. Jesus is going to pass by. When Jesus came, he looked up at Zacchaeus. Let's just pause right there. When Jesus came, he looked up at Zacchaeus. We're told that there was a crowd. But for whatever reason, Jesus notices first thing. He's got... More than tunnel vision. He's not just looking ahead. He has peripheral vision. Jesus does. So he notices that this guy's here. And and then he says, a little, you know, Holy Spirit magic trick. He calls him by name. Zacchaeus. I doubt he knew that before. I'm guessing that was the the knowledge of God that he was tapping into um, there. But he calls him. But maybe someone said, maybe he said, who is that? And someone said, oh, that's Zacchaeus. You don't want to have anything to do with him. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I love this. If Jesus knows anything about Zacchaeus, he knows that Zacchaeus has deep pockets that have come from the poor. And so you just get this poetic justice that's incredible. It's not even the point of what we're talking about right now. But this poetic justice. Hey, you're going to bankroll our dinner tonight. And I'm going to bring all my poor friends with me because it's their money that you've got anyways. And so, um, so but we don't know that. That's just conjecture. But, but he says, Zacchaeus... Come on down. We're going to your house. You're on the periphery right now. I'm bringing you right into the middle. I see you. For whatever reason, you're up there. I see you. I notice you. I call you by name. And I say, come. Even if I'm saying, come to your own house, I'm going to. Uh, but, but it's this amazing journey, right? That what happens is Zacchaeus starts by being noticed And after he's noticed by Jesus, Jesus calls him by name and he's known. And after being noticed and known, he gets included. And if you're on Zoom and you can't see my writing, or if you're in the nosebleed section and you can't see my writing. Noticed, known, and included. And this is a constant habit of Jesus's. To notice To know and to include over and over again. So Zacchaeus climbs down and he takes Jesus to his house. He's excited at this point. We don't know what he felt like before. But maybe he was hoping this whole time, I need to remain on the outside, but I want to see him. Maybe I even want to interact, but I don't think there's any possibility of that. And Jesus says, I see you. I know who you are. And I'm inviting you. I'm including you. Come, Come off of the periphery. Of course, people are displeased when this happens. The story goes on, not our point today, but uh, the story goes on and says, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Notorious, what a word. Notorious, the baddest of the bad, right? Like no holy person would ever interact with somebody like that. But Jesus sees way beyond that. He sees the potential. And so anyways, in the midst of this, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stands up before the Lord and says, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord if I've cheated people on their taxes. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself, check this, to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save who were lost. You notice that by nature of being a tax collector, he's been kind of pushed to the edge. In terms of identity of being a Jewish person. You're not even a real Jewish person. And Jesus says, I'm going to help you see deeper. Jesus not only brings transformation, but he restores an identity. He includes, he notices, he knows, he includes. Really, really cool journey. There's, there's beauty there. I want to just pull out a couple things from this story. Number one, there are forces that are at work. That are pushing, that are, um, pushing against Zacchaeus being included throughout this whole story. There's forces at work pushing against him being included. So his physical nature, for some reason, we don't know if we're talking about like an actual disability here or if he was just like five, five and a half. Um, We just don't know this. But for whatever reason, we get that. That is a potential excluder. Then we get uh, him going and literally positioning himself physically on the outside. Then we get the nature of his role. Then we get the attitudes that are against him already. Maybe without knowing him, who knows his story? Maybe his parents were tax collectors, and he grew up with the, this being the only trade he knows. We don't know the story. We don't know. All we know is there's lots of forces against being able to include him. We also know that how he's transformed, we can't, we can't tell exactly what transforms him, what Jesus does, or what happens that we don't have here, but we know it's not from shaming him. Because he's filled with joy even by being invited to be in the presence of Jesus and then he seems to so eagerly say, I want to change. Come down, that, that call, come down, is this outside versus inside imagery. Move from the fringes into community. Outsider into community. And then the final thing um, that we may want to take from a story like this is that in the Jewish faith and in the Jesus movement, I've mentioned this already, but I want to kind of highlight what I mean by it. For them to say that, that he was not one of us was for them to look at this story that's unfolding in the Jesus community and say, you have nothing that you can contribute and offer. So they looked at who Zacchaeus was, both the religious elite and the Jesus movement of the poor and, and the broken and the religious people who were all about Jewish law that he, this tax collector was against both of them. And they said, there's nothing that you can contribute to our conversation. So it's not even worth giving you a chance notorious sinner. And what Jesus does is he sees what's redeemable. He sees what's valuable. They were wrong. Are there times in our lives where we do not include because we think others have little to contribute? Where there might be someone on the fringes and we say, well, it's not worth it because they're not going to add that much to our conversation anyways. Or... I don't know our personalities don't really match up that well so I guess I'm just I'm just going to stay where I am. We cannot be includers until like Jesus we first learn to pay attention and develop the ability to notice. To see. Jesus talks about having eyes to see all the time in his kingdom. Eyes to see. What that means is, is to have um, eyes to see what God is up to and what the kingdom of God is all about. To see things as they are and to see God working. So all of this, this journey, let's, let's break it down um, and, and parse it out a little bit. So one of the things that we see, to noticing who's around us, it looks like noticing who is standing on the edges. That's our Zacchaeus story, all right? Jesus notices who's on the edges. He does this all the time. There's a story in Luke 19, I mentioned it earlier. There's a woman who um, has been bleeding and suffering, right? And Jesus is is healing people, but she sneaks in and she just tries to touch part of his clothing because she thinks that that if she does that, maybe she'll be healed. She doesn't even want to talk to him because she knows that she's unclean. She's not supposed to be in that crowd at all. And Jesus... This is another thing I would love to talk about for so long. But Jesus feels power go out of him. I don't know when the last time was that I heard a sermon on Jesus' power leaving him. Did he feel weaker? Was it just a power surge? It it brings up all kinds of questions about the power of what happened on the cross too. The healing of the world. Like this metaphysical. Fascinating. Nothing to do with what we're supposed to be talking about here. But the point is. The point is. Jesus. Jesus is in tune with her need. He notices her presence. He invites her to the center. And he says, tell me what's going on. What's what's happening, right? He, He gives her the time. The disciples say, like, what are you talking about? Who touched you? Tons of people are around jostling. And he's like, no, I need to know more. So he finds her. She finally owns up to it, thinking that he's going to blast her, shame her, say, how dare you try to take something that's not yours. And what he does is he includes her and he blesses her. He notices, he knows, and he includes in the redemptive plan. So, noticing who's around us looks like noticing who's standing on the edges. But noticing who's around us also looks like noticing who has been excluded. And and those are sometimes interchangeable, but many times they're different. People are on the edges of our lives, of our communities, for many different reasons, but often... And frequently, there are people who have actually been excluded, whether intentionally or not intentionally. And we need to understand that noticing means owning that exclusion and telling a better and a different story. Okay? Um, This goes relationally for us, but it also um, goes in approach to history, to oppression, and to justice. There's another story with Jesus. I'm not going to put all these up, but there's a story with Jesus in John 4 where he speaks to a Samaritan woman um, at Jacob's well in, as he's passing through Samaria. And, and um, she asks him two things. The first thing is, why are you talking to... Well, she asks him a bunch of things, but the, the ones that I'm drawing out. She says, why are you talking to me as a woman and as a Jewish man? Like, I'm excluded from your, from your tribe and from your, your caste system here. Like, I'm not allowed. The risk is not for Jesus. Someone would look at Jesus in that moment and be like, well, that's inappropriate. Someone would look at her and she would be punished or shunned for talking to a man. So the risk, she says, what, what's happening? And he goes and he says, in his whole interaction, he says, you're worthy of my conversation. He says, I'm not going to exclude you from this. And if he says it's okay, then that changes the story a little bit. But so she, she brings up this thing, I'm excluded from this. And he says, no, you're not. Let's have a conversation. I want to know you. I want to speak to you. I want to speak truth. I want to bring hope eventually. And the second thing she says is, as the conversation goes, we're not going to talk about the husband thing this, this time. But as the conversation goes, she says, well, us Samaritan people, historically, we've worshipped on Mount Gerizim here. And you say that for us to actually be authentic in our worship at all, for it to even be valid, we have to go to Jerusalem. And the catch-22 is, but if we go to Jerusalem, we're excluded because we're, we're not considered Jewish. They were half-Jewish. Um, and so, so she says that, and Jesus says, well, time's coming where that's irrelevant, where you will be fully included. And it's almost here now because I'm here, where people will be able to worship in spirit and in truth. And this thing that is excluding you is not going to last. So do you see over and over these things that have been pushing people to the outside? Jesus looks, and he he does something different. It happens with Jesus and the children, too, um, in Matthew 19. Some parents brought their children to Jesus so that he could lay hands on them and pray, but the disciples scolded the parents, Don't bring him. Jesus is doing important work here. He's healing people. He's preaching to adults. And Jesus says, Bring them here. And I don't imagine, when he says, let the little children come to me, don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. It, it goes on to say that he, he um, like, places his hands on, on their heads, blesses them. But I don't get the impression that he's like, come here, I need to do an object lesson. Okay, move on. I, get, I, I imagine him getting down on the ground and playing with them, and the disciples still are jostled, and like, come on, Jesus, like, we've got places to go. And he's like... And he's totally engaged with the people, with the children who in a society like this, in our world, children are still undervalued. But in that society, it was like night and day. You could ignore your children completely and it was appropriate because children had nothing to contribute to society until they grew up. So, so anyways, um, this, this is the, the MO of Jesus. He looks at people who have been intentionally excluded and he says, I'm going to give you a better example. I'm going to make a better way. He notices it's so beautiful. So speaking of noticing, last week uh, we were not this past week, the week before after Easter, we spent some time in Virginia. Our family, my sister, has a cabin down there, and uh, we go there often after Easter. and uh, And so we were down there, and one of the unique things that we did is we took a day and we went into D.C. We usually just stick in the natural areas, on the trails and stuff, but we went into D.C. Um, and did all the Smithsonian stuff. We rode the metro, had fun. And we went into, the the highlight for most of us was the National Gallery of Art. Um, Just an incredibly beautiful place to see Monet and all the Impressionists and everything like that. Um, Lots and lots of European work in there, um, which is both great and also rather plain and vanilla. So anyways, um, there's some new exhibits that were popping up, and we passed through some of them, some modern work, um, which is really beautiful, specifically um, some... Really, really, incredibly profound black artists that that had a specific um, a, a couple of rooms highlighting some of their work, and I stood there looking at this one piece, and um, it just caught my eye. And here's the piece. It's, it was called "Space to Forget" by Titus Kafar. and um, and what? So, so I'm just standing there, just sitting here with this, because if you if you've noticed, this is a famous photograph meaning there's, there's a photograph from the early 1900s that looks exactly like this. And so what Titus Kafar does is he, cr- he looks at pieces of art that are famous or historical, photographs or paintings, and he recreates the painting himself. He paints it fresh, by his own free hand, and then he alters it to shift the focus. And so in this story, a, um, uh, a white child is riding a slave woman while she's cleaning, and so what he's done here is he's removed the focal point to bring the focus to something else. And it creates all this thought-provoking things because regardless of what you want to focus on, you can't pick apart the main subject in the picture. You have to look at something else. The main subject is missing. And so I was sitting there not knowing all of this, and this woman comes up to me. She noticed me, and she says, Do you know Titus's work? And I said, No. And she started to tell me about him. And I had no idea. I found out later that she was a, uh, um, a curator for a museum on the other side of the country. Um, an art museum. And she started telling me about Titus's work. She said, you know, he did a TED Talk about what his calling in life is. And how he does that. And so I looked it up um, on a whim, having nothing to do with this message. And I was so captured by the way he expressed something. And he's provocative, by the way. He's very provocative. Um, but... Uh, but what he does captured, I think, something of the heart of what Jesus often does in the stories when he flips things upside down that I wanted to show it to you. And so uh, please just sit with it because the images of him painting over faces, you know, can be rough on some of your sensitivities and that's okay. Um, but, but here's the thing. What he did is he took a famous, um, a famous piece I think it was a Dutch painting, and he recreated it. So the painting that you're going to see him working on, he painted himself, okay? It's not a a recreation of a famous painting that he's got a, a slide of above. So he painted this himself. He's not defacing anybody else's work except for his own, okay? But I want you to see what he does as he describes what his role as an artist is, all right?
1: There's more written about dogs in art history than there are about this other character here. Historically speaking, in research on these kinds of paintings, I can find out more about the lace that the woman is wearing in this painting, than I, the manufacturer of the lace, than I can about this character here, about his dreams, about his hopes, about what he wanted out of life. I, I want to I show you something. Look, I, I don't want you to think that this is about eradication. It's not. The, the oil that you saw me just put inside of this paint is linseed oil. It becomes transparent over time. So eventually what's going to happen is these faces will emerge a little bit. What I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to show you is how to shift your gaze just slightly, just momentarily, just momentarily. It's a beautiful
0: 13, 14 minute TED talk where he speaks about the questions his own children asked when they walked through an art museum and saw pictures of some people riding horses and others walking beside the horses and said, well, how come that one gets to ride? and it created this movement in him to say we need to learn to see the things that we overlook we need to learn the stories of those who have been pushed to the side in our world so the art of noticing that Jesus gives us it affects all of this it affects us understanding that there have been voices in our world that have been pushed to the side stories that have been devalued compared to some of our own stories perspectives that are weighted differently. And so for us to grow in the art of noticing, it looks like noticing who's standing on the edges, but it also looks like noticing who has been excluded and learning the stories and the history and the experiences behind because there is so much for us to learn and to be contributed to by voices and faces that we don't often come up against um, in our lives. And so it's really, really... A passion of ours as a church to be growing in this area. Um, And it's important. It's important that we, like what Titus is doing, learn to see more than what we see at first glance in our world. Um, This is a part of God's kingdom coming, right? Seeing those who have been treated as the least including people in our thoughts and our understandings and our memories so that we can do better in the future and it starts with each one of us and it is central to God's heart. This is part of noticing people. Jesus did it with lepers. He did it with the sick. He did it with women who are undervalued. Um, people that had been ignored. Even Zacchaeus pushed out of the story because of even his own alliances with evil. So you don't even get to do the good and bad, deserving or undeserving. It's incredible. So, in God's church today, there are so many, let's make this like super relevant for us right here and right now, there are so many who are excluded or feel like they are on the outside, even among us, and and without trying to make anyone uncomfortable, can I just name that historically, the church has not done so well with people who are not married for any sort of a reason? divorced, never married, widowed, or even whose spouses don't attend church, but they do, often feel like they don't know the role because the church is so family-centric? Can we name the fact that people with physical disabilities often feel like they can't contribute because people look at someone with a physical disability and they say, well, they must not be intelligent enough to contribute? The church often undervalues experiences of people who don't have a lot of power in our world. If you don't have money in the church, you are rarely invited to be a part of church boards and leadership. Now, I know that there's a deep level of cynicism because of many of your church experiences. And many of us have talked about that. A lot of people who are a part of Life Path are a part of Life Path saying, I was so sick or am so sick of the church. And I get that. And I'm always careful whenever we offer, whenever I from the front offer any sort of critique because I actually don't want to add to your cynicism. I'd rather invite you to move through it so that we can build something more beautiful and better and more hopeful. There's a place for cynicism, but we're trying to get to the other side, right? And so so it's really, really crucial, sorry, um, it's really crucial for us to own where we have excluded, where we have pushed others to the outside, but instead of complaining about it all day long, let's start to be creative with the kingdom imagination that Jesus has given us. Because Jesus built something better. He didn't just criticize the system. There's a role for both of those things, but it always ends on the building something. So let's do that together, even while we acknowledge that, yeah, that there's often been things that have been excluded. So instead of saying it's bad that things have been excluded, let's say let's include here. Let's grow in that area. So I want to encourage you toward that that growth. Um, All right. uh, Here we go. So the last thing then. The last thing, if we, uh, it, noticing who's around us, it looks like noticing who, who might be standing on the edges. Even within our circles of friendship, drinking coffee, is there someone that walks in and because everybody, you just see a bunch of butts, they don't know what to do? We used to talk about that a lot more than these days. You know, someone comes in, even on a Sunday morning, and they walk in, and if there's a group of three people that are all facing in this direction tight, it's like, okay, whoo, takes a real bold social person to break into that. But if we have a commitment, all of us together, to notice who's around us, then we will quickly open our circles. We will quickly extend hospitality to one another. We all do it together. Um, so the final thing, however, um, is noticing who God is bringing closer to you. And we'll only hit this just for a few moments. Um, but, because we're going to talk about it more in two weeks. But, um, but noticing who God is bringing closer to you is about seeing where God might want to do something new in a relationship. This is about disciple making. You know, Jesus in um, Matthew 4, when he's talking to the disciples for the first time, and he sees uh, Peter and Andrew, and they're fishing, and he says, hey, come follow me. Guess what? I will teach you a different way of fishing. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people, how to to cast nets out and, and draw people into God's heart. Okay, and so, so later on when he sends his disciples out in um, uh, Luke 10 and Matthew 9 and 10, and it's mentioned one other place, um, he, he sends his disciples out and he says, go out and live the way of Jesus, proclaim God's kingdom, and look for people who are drawn to it. He calls them people of peace. Look for people of peace. Who in your life might be a person of peace? Someone who is open to you and the message of your life. Not as some sort of a project. But most of you at some point had someone either invite you in or you entered into maybe this community, maybe into friendships that were Jesus-centered, and you were like, oh, I'm so glad that happened. Where might there be other people longing for that kind of community, that kind of connection with Jesus, that kind of living in the kingdom of God? Um, who was around you leaning in like Zacchaeus? And Jesus was perceptive enough to say, hey, let's hang out more. And Zacchaeus was like, I would like that. Who might it be in your life that God might be stirring for a beautiful, ongoing friendship that involves Jesus as a mutual friend? Um, Yeah. No matter what angle we approach noticing others from, at the end of the day, it's about an awareness of who is around us and how valuable they are, each one, and having courage to open ourselves to others in new ways. Um... Noticing is really hard work, friends. It's much easier to ignore. (laughs) Including is hard work. It's much easier to just take care of yourself and let the chips fall where they will. But if we struggle with engaging in this work of learning to notice who's around us in every single way, um, let me remind you that the foundation of our own theology is this. We have been included in the family of God. We have been adopted into a space of belonging from a space of disconnection and alienation. God came toward us saying that we belong with him and that he is willing to do the work of inclusion on our behalf to make it possible. God doesn't care about the many things that we feel disqualifies us or makes us weak or too imperfect or too messed up or, or I'm, I'm, I'm damaged by, you know, the, the, the structure of the church so I'm just going to stay on the edges. God, he cares about it but doesn't respect it that much because he kind of is always breaking down the barriers. So he cares about your pain but not so much that he says, yeah, just sit there in it forever. Um, there's always redemption that we're being invited to. So God's grace goes first and we are included. No longer are we strangers, Jesus says. And he says, no longer are we servants either, but we're family. What an incredible message. If we believe that, and if we believe as Galatians 5 um, says that we are called to be imitators of God, then it's time we took notice of the people around us and became includers in new ways ourselves. Uh, Yeah, and if we struggle with the inviting in, Just be reminded that Jesus invited us to walk with him in a way that both lightens the load and gives courage to the fearful. So Jesus gives us strength. Um, You don't have to bear the burden of figuring everything out. You just have to say, hey, come join me as I'm trying to figure out the Jesus thing together. It's a lot of beauty. All right, may Jesus be with us as we try our best to live this way and grow in the art of noticing who's around us.